Hello and welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your source for news in Hoosier Law, brought to you by Taft. I'm Jordan Morey, Indiana Lawyer Managing Editor and your host. We're headed into the final days of summer, but the headlines aren't slowing down. Today's episode covers topics ranging from immigration to abortion to law schools to Supreme Court justices. Plus, I sit down with Katie Jackson Lindsay, an Indianapolis attorney and president of the Marion County Bar Association. So let's get started. Today is Wednesday, August 24th, 2022, and these are your headlines. Calling all law students. It's time to get your pens, pencils, notebooks, and laptops ready because class is in session. Each of Indiana's three law schools has opened its doors for the fall semester, welcoming students to campuses in Bloomington, Indianapolis, and South Bend. Indiana lawyer reporter Katie Stancombe checked in with some of those students to find out how things are going at the start of this semester. Hundreds of students in Indiana are settling into a new rhythm of life that every attorney is familiar with, law school. Here's a look at the unofficial numbers of Indiana's incoming class of 2025. Indiana University Mauer School of Law currently has 155 first-year law students enrolled, while Indiana University Robert H. McKinney School of Law has 229 incoming students. I wasn't able to connect with a representative at Notre Dame Law School to see their preliminary numbers. As law students prep for the start of classes this month, I spoke with some members of the class of 2025 from two of Indiana's law schools to get their thoughts about how they feel about embarking on their law school journey. Dasuni Sirisuria, a current 1L at IU McKinney, received a neuroscience and neurobiology degree at IU. While volunteering at a low-income hospital, Sirisuria says her eyes were opened to the inequities in healthcare. That sparked her interest in health law and led to her application for law school. Her ambitious goal, she says, is to eliminate all disparities in Indiana healthcare. But I could also see myself, you know, representing patients who have been wronged by the system or by their healthcare provider in general. I just want everyone to have an equal chance to be healthy. IU McKinney classes began on August 15th, while IU Mauer classes began on August 16th. Notre Dame Law School classes began on August 22nd. Siri Surya says her first week of law school was welcoming, warm, and encouraging. My nerves have definitely eased, and I can officially say I survived my first week of law school. In Bloomington, IU Mauer 1L Kenneth Echeverria says the first week of law school classes was unreal. Echeverria, originally from North Carolina, took two years off from graduating high school to work as a paralegal. He says being in law school is a huge achievement. I'm the first in my family to uh, graduate college and the first to be in law school. So I feel like this is, you know, like a momentous achievement for myself and for my family. I'm just proud to be here. He's not sure what kind of law he'd like to practice yet, but Echeverria says he knows he wants to help his community back home in any way he can. I'm looking forward to receiving equality education. I'm looking forward to making friends and connection. And I'm just looking forward to the future. As we do every year, we'll stay plugged in with Indiana's law schools and bring you any important news you need to know about your alma mater. One thing we're tracking is the search for a new dean at IU Mauer in Bloomington. I recently chatted with the interim dean, Christiana Ochoa, about her role at the law school. You can read that story in the August 17th issue of Indiana Lawyer. Switching gears, we have another update in our continuing coverage of Indiana's new abortion landscape. Like we reported in our last episode, Indiana's new abortion law has been finalized, banning abortions in most situations except those involving rape or incest, a fatal fetal anomaly, or to protect the life or health of the pregnant woman. 
While that law was being drafted, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita entered the national abortion conversation by challenging Dr. Caitlin Bernard on a Fox News program. Bernard is the doctor who performed an abortion in Indiana on a 10-year-old Ohio girl. And since that news broke, Rakita has been public about his investigation into Bernard for potential reporting of privacy violations. Multiple media outlets have since reported that Bernard made the required reports regarding the Ohio girl's situation and her employer, IU Health, has publicly said that she did not violate any privacy laws. The AG's remarks have received flack from many in the legal education community. And now, two more voices have joined the chorus, former Congresswoman Susan Brooks and retired federal judge John Tinder. Brooks and Tinder published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal this month criticizing Rakita and calling out law enforcement to, quote, reject his example. The former congresswoman and judge wrote that as an attorney, Rakita has a duty to examine the evidence before he, as they put it, rushed precipitously into the fray. They said that they were appalled that he announced his investigation into Bernard before gathering the most basic facts. They went on to write that Rakita's actions smack of McCarthyism. They closed by writing, quote, a prosecutor should never wield the government's extraordinary authority for political or ideological aims, end quote. Rakita has not directly responded to the op-ed, and he didn't respond to our request for comment. He did, however, recently write an op-ed blaming the media for allegedly misquoting him. Rakita and Brooks are Republicans, while Tinder was appointed to both the Indiana Southern District Court and the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals by Republican presidents. Issues surrounding abortion aren't the only things causing public battles between officials. Indiana lawyer editor Olivia Covington has a story of a dispute involving law enforcement and the Indianapolis Bar Association. On July 31st, Elwood police officer Noah Shauna Baz was fatally shot during a traffic stop. The man charged with killing Shauna Baz, Carl Boards II, is now facing the death penalty if he's convicted. Against this backdrop, Rick Snyder, who is the president of the Indianapolis Fraternal Order of Police, Lodge No. 86, has begun to criticize the Marion County Judiciary. In a statement posted to Twitter, Snyder said the FOP would convene a vote of confidence against the Marion County prosecutor and the Marion County courts, citing the Elwood shooting as a reason why. That vote was held during the week of August 15th. I'll tell you the results in just a minute. According to Snyder's Twitter statement, Boards, quote, has a lengthy criminal history as a habitual serious violent offender who had been previously convicted of shooting at police in Indianapolis, but was released following a lenient modified sentence from a Marion County judge, end quote. In a highly unusual move, the Indianapolis Bar Association released a statement condemning Snyder's claims. The bar says Snyder engaged in reckless rhetoric and had either consciously disregarded the facts or recklessly made false allegations. Either alternative, IndyBar says, is beneath the expected standards for our community's conversations and discourse about public safety. The IndyBar statement recounts details from Board's case in Marion County, where he was convicted of shooting at police. It says he was sentenced to an enhanced term of 25 years, which was near the maximum permitted by Indiana law and was not modified. As Boards approached the end of his sentence, he was placed into the Indiana Community Transition Program in May 2019 on the recommendation of Marion County Community Corrections. After he completed that program, he began parole in August 2019, and he completed parole in August 2020. Even if he hadn't been placed in the community transition program, IndyBar says boards would still have been free from supervision this past July when Shauna Bass was killed. 
According to Indybar, quote, Mr. Snyder's attempt to draw a line between Officer Shauna Baz's death and the defendant's Marion County conviction is not only inaccurate, it is dangerous, end quote. The bar says it's speaking out against Snyder because the Marion County courts cannot do so due to judicial conduct rules. Snyder did not respond to multiple messages from Indiana lawyer senior reporter Marilyn Odendahl, who was seeking comment from him on Indy Barr's statement. We'll let you know if we hear from him. As for the confidence votes, Snyder held a press conference on August 22nd, announcing the results that did not seem to favor the Marion County Judiciary. 1.1% of Marion County law enforcement officers say they have confidence in Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears, and 3.5% say they have confidence in the county courts. Snyder said hundreds of officers voted, but he declined to give the specific number. Mears declined to comment on the results, and the Marion County Courts referred questions to Indy Bar, which sent us a statement saying, quote, A vote of no confidence isn't a solution and doesn't lead to progress in addressing the issues at hand. We are hopeful the parties can engage in meaningful discourse in the near future to analyze the root causes of the death of Officer Noah Shonavaz and attacks on other public safety officers in our community, end quote. The next steps, according to Snyder, are to request a meeting with the Indiana Supreme Court and Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb to try to craft a solution for the problems law enforcement say they're seeing in Indiana's largest county. We'll keep an eye on this situation and provide you with updates as we get them. Back to you, Jordan. Thanks, Olivia. Next, an update on a story I've been following for a few months. Both the federal and local defendants in a case brought by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement detainees at the Clay County Jail are asking the Indiana Southern District Court to dismiss a lawsuit challenging the jail's relationship with federal immigration authorities. Late last month, federal defendants filed a motion to dismiss a suit alleging ICE should have ceased providing funding to the Clay County Jail last year due to failing inspections and because local officials allegedly used federal funds for purposes not permitted by applicable law. As a reminder, since 2013, Clay County has maintained a contract with the U.S. Marshals Service to hold ICE detainees. The Department of Homeland Security pays the county $55 per ICE detainee per day, on top of transportation costs for gas and guards. It's the only facility in the state that holds ICE detainees. The lawsuit in question was filed in April on behalf of four ICE detainees. It came on the heels of the Clay County Commissioners approving a jail expansion project estimated to cost $20 to $25 million. The new jail will almost double the size of the facility and bump the bed number to around 441. The federal defendants, represented by the U.S. Department of Justice, largely point to Federal Rules of Civil Procedure 12B1 and 12B6 in their 23-page memorandum supporting the motion to dismiss. The motion notes that just one of the original plaintiffs was being held at the jail as of July 22nd, the day the motion was filed, but the other three had been transferred or removed from the country. About a week before the federal defendants filed a motion to dismiss, local officials represented by attorneys at Bose, McKinney, and Evans also filed motions to dismiss. Plaintiffs have requested class action certification, but in a joint motion on scheduling, the defendants requested that class certification be held in abeyance due to scheduling issues. Be sure to check back at theindianalawyer.com as we continue to follow this case. Speaking of jails, we have news about two former Indiana lawmakers receiving federal prison sentences. On August 17th, Former Indiana Republican State Senator Brent Waltz was sentenced to 10 months in prison for his role in a scheme that illegally funneled money from a casino company to his unsuccessful 2016 congressional campaign, according to the Associated Press. 
The Indianapolis Star reports that on that same day, former GOP lawmaker John Keeler was also sentenced to two months on a related charge. Waltz pleaded guilty in April to helping route about $40,000 in illegal contributions to his campaign and making false statements to the FBI. While Keeler pleaded guilty to filing a false tax return, claiming $41,000 as a business expense that casino money Centaur Gaming paid to a political consultant, who then made contributions through straw donors. Keeler was a top executive at Centaur Gaming. Waltz served in the Indiana Senate from 2005 to 2017, while Keeler served in the Indiana House in the 1980s and 90s. Keeler is also an attorney, and his law license was suspended after he entered his guilty plea. Waltz told federal judge James Sweeney during sentencing that his greatest regret was tarnishing his reputation as a public servant, according to the Indy Star. But Waltz told the Star shortly after he was sentenced that he viewed himself as a victim of an anti-Donald Trump jihad, likening his situation to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. If we learn about any updates in this case, we'll be sure to tell you. Let's wrap things up with a preview of a pair of stories that Katie and I are working on for next issue of Indiana Lawyer. A major shift in the Indiana judiciary will take place next week when longtime Justice Stephen David officially steps down from the Indiana Supreme Court and appellate judge Jarek Moulter steps up to take his place. Justice David, who is retiring from the high court after more than 12 years, joined the Supreme Court in October 2010 after being selected by former Governor Mitch Daniels. Before that, David was a Boone Circuit Court judge for more than 15 years. Moulter, who will succeed David on the high court, joined the Court of Appeals of Indiana in October 2021. He was chosen by Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb this summer to be Indiana's 111th Indiana Supreme Court Justice. Before becoming an appellate judge, Mulder practiced law at Ice Miller in Indianapolis. A retirement ceremony will be held for David on August 30th, one day before he officially retires on August 31st. Mulder will be sworn in on September 1st with a ceremonial swearing-in to follow at a later date. Check out the August 31st issue of The Indiana Lawyer to see what David and Moulter have to say about their time on the bench and their views on the state's judiciary, past, present, and future. That'll do it for this week's headlines. Head over to TheIndianaLawyer.com for more on any of these stories or for other important legal news. Stick around after our sponsor break to hear my conversation with Marion County Bar Association President Katie jackson Lindsay. Taft, today's modern law firm. At Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. For this week's extended interview, we have Marion County Bar Association President Katie jackson Lindsay in studio with us today. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. As some background, Katie established Jackson Legal Services in 2013. Prior to that, she was a deputy prosecutor in Marion County for more than five years. Katie is a lifelong Indianapolis resident, born and raised on the Northwest side, and is an Indiana State University and Indiana University Maurer School of Law grad. She's the current president of the Marion County Bar Association, which was originally founded in 1925 as the Marion County Lawyers Club. The Marion County Lawyers Club changed its name to Marion County Bar Association in 1942 and was established as a direct result of the exclusionary policies practiced by white contemporary associations. 
As some additional history, until 1952, the American Bar Association would not accept black lawyers into its membership. In response to that refusal, a group of distinguished African-American lawyers created the National Bar Association. The NBA founded state and local organizations, held seminars, symposiums, and discussions concerning common problems in the field of law. The Marion County Bar has been a member of the National Bar Association for decades. So uh, to get started, uh, please tell me a little bit about your background in the law. Why did you decide to take this career path and uh, open your firm in Indianapolis? Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me again. Um, as you mentioned, I am a lifelong resident of Indianapolis. I left and went an hour west for college, then an hour south for law school. And so um, I really am a Hoosier born and bred. And um, I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was a very young child. I don't know why. No one can explain why. I apparently declared that at four years old, and here I am. And so um, I chose the path of criminal law, frankly, because it was interesting, but also because in the community where I grew up, we didn't necessarily grow up with the mentality that the police or the prosecutor's office was for us, right? And so in deciding which area of criminal law to pursue, do I go state, do I go defense? I initially was a prosecutor based on an experience I had um, where a friend of mine was murdered in high school. And so I thought, you know, if we have grown up with the mindset that you know, the police are not necessarily for us or for people of color. Who's going to speak up for my friend? And so that sort of really inspired me to pursue um, a career initially as a prosecutor. And I did that for over five years, as you mentioned it. And I really enjoyed it. I loved my job there, um, but experienced a little burnout uh, and still wanted to stay in the area of criminal law. So I really just took a chance and started my practice. And I didn't imagine it would grow into what it is today. But I love it. I love helping people who find themselves in difficult situations. And I enjoy learning new things all the time in criminal law and having days that are exciting and always different. And so that's that's sort of how I got to where I am. Mm -hmm. How long have you been the Marion County Bar President? How did that leadership position uh, come about for you? So I've been the president since January 1st of this year uh, within MCBA. Our terms are one year for uh, elected officers. And so I am three quarters of the way into that term. And that came about because I've, I've been a member of the Marion County Bar Association for some time, an active member, and I represented us for several years on the Judicial Selection Committee. Uh, when the opportunity came about to consider being our president-elect, a friend of mine that I really trust, more than a friend, a mentor, nominated me. And I thought, are you crazy? I don't want to do that. And she said, well, I think you should. I think you'd be great for it. And so I really believe that in sometimes in life, if someone sees something in you that maybe you didn't see in yourself, you have to evaluate that. And it can be inspiration to do something you never thought about doing. So that's how I became um, the nominee for president-elect and then was later elected. And so it's not something I ever thought in my career, I want to do that, but I'm really glad that I did. And it's it's been a great honor to do that this year. <laughs> I'm going to have to revise this question a little bit, I, but I was going to ask, you know, what are some of your short and long-term goals as president? So I guess you're three quarters of the way through. What are some of the things you feel like, you know, you've been able to accomplish during this time? And what are some things you're also looking forward to as you know, your time kind of winds down as president? Sure. So for the past two years, MCBA was sort of at a standstill. In 2020, our president at the time um, had a, a, a serious experience with COVID. And so as a result of that, it affected the association in a way that we had to sit dormant for a little bit, bit and use 2021 to rebuild. We had an amazing president in 2021 who did make sure that, you know, we stayed alive and rebuilt our organization 
organization in administrative ways. And so a big goal of mine going into 2022 was to jump back into the community now that the community had opened back up. And so I set goals for our board of directors to come up with ways to challenge us, challenge us to do more community activities, get more engaged with other local bar associations such as Indy Bar and even State Bar, and also make ourselves available as a resource in the community at large. And we've done that quite a bit. And we've been invited a lot of places and to do a lot of collaborations. And so that makes me really proud that considering what we experienced over the last two years, that we're back and we're active and engaged and people are noticing. And more importantly, that we're providing services for our community. Mm -hmm. You kind of touched on it there into my next question. Um, What are some of those initiatives you have worked on with the other bar associations? Sure. So we work quite a bit with Indy Bar on a lot of different initiatives. And just earlier this year, Indy Bar set a platform for all of the local bar associations to get together. So the Indianapolis Bar Foundation, Indy Bar, Marion County Bar, as well as APABA. Um, And we all got together to talk about collaboratively. We are different bar associations based on different demographics, right? And so But how could we, with our common goals, with our common initiatives, come together to create an alliance? And so that's one thing that I I think all of our bar associations are really excited about is the alliance that we've built with all of the bar associations collectively um, to do community service work, to increase our joint philanthropy. And so that I'm really excited about. We have also worked alongside Indie Bar with initiatives such as Lawyers in Bloom, which is a project that one of our directors, Judy Conley is really passionate about. They work directly with the Crane House each spring to plant flowers for the new year. And if you're not familiar with the Crane House, it's a work release facility for women where they live with their families. And so to go there and make it beautiful for them and their families, I think was a really important thing to do because it makes it feel more like home for people who are transitioning back to the community, which is something that's near and dear to me as a criminal defense attorney. About how many members do you currently have um, and how is that number kind of compared to recent years? So our membership continues to increase every day, So, which is wonderful. I can't give you um, the exact number. So I know that right now we are above 120, okay. which makes me really, really proud. And historically, you know, MCBA, MCBA is an organization that was born out of necessity based on discrimination. And so our, our numbers sort of fluctuate depending on the number of minority lawyers in the community. Um, and then sometimes events happen uh, that cause us to, to have a higher need to collaborate. But right now, I think that we're right around 120 members. What are some unique challenges that Black lawyers and judges face compared to their white colleagues? Well, I think, and and there's been a lot of conversation around this um, recently. And in fact, we are collaborating next week with the with Indy Bar to have a discussion, a continuing legal education discussion about this very thing. I think that one of the biggest challenges that I and my colleagues would agree on would be just being undervalued. You know, the history of our country lends itself to this idea that if a black lawyer or any black professional has reached a particular position in life, that they're there because of affirmative action and maybe they didn't earn that position. And so I think there's a constant 
need of us feeling we need to prove ourselves, prove that we're worthy. You know, I've had a law degree for almost 14 years now. I think I've established myself as a reputable lawyer who knows my job and does it well. But there's still that constant feeling um, that you have to prove who you are and prove yourself and sometimes literally prove that you're an attorney because you often walk in the courtroom and they don't even think you're a lawyer still. So <laughs> I would say uh, if I if I were to ask Several of my black lawyer colleagues, what what is our biggest challenge? I think people would consistently agree that that's it. Indiana, obviously, most people know us. Indiana ranks among the least diverse states when it comes to the law. Um, what are some ways that the, the Marion County Bar Association is helping the profession become more diverse? So one thing, one of the initiatives that was important for me this year and a goal that I set for myself as our bar leader was to really connect with our black law student associations that are um, a part of the local law school. So that includes uh, both Mauer and McKinney. And with McKinney specifically, because they are here close in town, we have a, the, the president of Balsa each year has a position on our board of directors. And so this year we decided to be very intentional about including them in with us. And so we, to that end, hosted a mixer this spring where we brought in all of the Balsa students. We hosted it and we said, we just want you to come on a Friday night, hang out with us and get to know us, exchange business cards, talk to people, connect with people where you might find some commonalities or even a mentor that day. Because what is happening is there are lots of minority students that go to Indiana law schools, but they leave. They go back to where they came from, or even if they're from Indiana, they don't want to stay because it's not a very diverse state. And so our goal was to to say to them, hey, we're here. And if you want to know what the experience is like of being a black lawyer in Indiana, you have people you can talk to and talk to candidly. And so since that mixer, we've developed relationships. We've developed mentor relationships. We have another event coming up this weekend that's hosted by one of our wonderful members. And so I hope that we can continue to build on that because that is an issue that we recognize. But as the Black Bar Association, we are definitely aware of it and working towards improvement. What's your elevator pitch to someone to join the Marion County Bar Association? If you know, maybe they're on the fence or they're just meeting you for the first time. Well, I'd say first, understand the history of Marion County Bar Association, right? And so a lot of our history is our, our most notable history that is out in the public most of the time is that. Indie Bar wouldn't let us in. And so we started our own, own organization. And that's true. That's real. That's what happened. But more importantly is that it offers our black lawyers back in 1925 needed a space where they could relate to another black lawyer and what they're going through. And so my elevator pitch would be, and not just to black lawyers, to white lawyers as well, to any race. We are a bar association that provides a platform and a space for members with common issues, with common concerns, with common gripes to come together and have a family that can understand you. But we also offer a space for those of us who align themselves with issues that affect minority communities and want to help. And so we often say, and, and we make sure that we often say, we are not the Black Bar Association that's only for Black people. We are the Bar Association that happens to be majority Black that works together for minority communities, for issues that affect strictly minority communities. So if you're a white lawyer that that wants to be involved in that and wants to be a part of helping minority communities, you should join as well. 
So uh, it has been criticized by some who argue the merit selection takes away the voices of minority voters. Um, what can you tell us about your work on the committee and how you respond to that kind of criticism? And, and do you think diverse views are considered in the merit selection process? So that's a lot of questions. Yes, short yeah, yeah, sorry, I threw a lot at you there. I threw okay, a lot at so you. let me make sure I'm answering each sure, part of sure. it. So as to the first question um, about the belief that it takes away the, the voice of minority voters, I don't disagree with that. I agree with that. I think that it's troubling that there are a handful of counties in our state who select their judges based on merit selection as opposed to an open election by the community. And that's troubling to me. And I, I don't like it, mm -hmm. despite being a representative on that committee. And that's Katie Jackson Lindsay speaking, not Marion County Bar Association, right? Sure. But I do think it's important that the Marion County Bar Association is represented on that committee. And I can tell you, having been the only representative on that committee for MCBA since the statute was passed, I do think the minority voice is heard because I'm there, right? Mm -hmm. And so I take very seriously that responsibility. And I often recognize, and I think my fellow committee members would agree with this, I often say, you know, I may feel some way personally, but I'm speaking for the greater community, especially the minority community, because our vote has been taken away. And, you know, we are, especially as the minority bar, expected to bring minority concerns to the forefront and to the table in selection. And so you asked another question, do I think the minority voice is heard or input is there? Yes. We are very lucky that if this is the process that has been placed upon us, we have had amazing committees and amazing committee members. Obviously, we go into executive session to have those discussions. And so I can't disclose what's said there. But what I can say is that all of those committee members, each committee member that has been a part of that process, even those who are, are no longer there is a space for open communication. There's a space for honest communication. And even though we don't always agree, I can honestly say we all get to say our piece. And so I am confident um, that because the Marion County Bar Association has a place there, um, that it is working the way that it was designed and the minority voice, minority concerns are being raised and are being respected. Are there any other initiatives with the Bar Association right now that you're excited about um, just in the near future? Is there anything that you haven't touched on so far that, you know, you're just looking really looking forward to? Yeah, actually, we are. We took a little bit of a break for the summer. I don't my board members will probably say she's calling it a break, but that's not true because we still met every month. But coming up, we have a couple of events I'm really excited about. So we have our CLE week, which is going to take place in September. And that's strictly for lawyers, obviously, to get our CLE credits. And so we will um, have a week of continuing legal education opportunities, and that'll be posted on our website for anyone who's interested or wants to register. It's not just for members. It's for the, com the legal community at large. We're going to end that week with our um, family reunion, our MCBA family reunion. So we encourage anyone, even if they're not a member, to come and join us and see if they'd be interested in pursuing membership with MCBA. And then our big event, which I'm really, really excited about, will take place on October 22nd, and that's our 
our uh, Kaikendalcon Gala. It's a gala that we have every two years. We didn't have it in 2020 because of COVID. But for MCBA, it's a big deal because it gives us an opportunity to honor people in the legal community that we feel have made strides and achievements that that are in line with our goals as MCBA. And so each of those events, um, you can find more information on our website, but I'm really excited to sort of end the last quarter of my presidency with those big things going on because we started to work on those things since last year and now they're coming to life. What's something uh, lawyers and judges should know about you and or the Marion County Bar Association they might not know? Sure. So one thing I'm finding as president is what I touched on a little bit earlier is that the Marion County Bar Association is not a black only bar association. It is a majority minority bar association with the mission of serving minority and underserved communities. And so it is for everyone. And what people should know about me is that I'm really excited to have had this opportunity this year. Um, I don't plan to go anywhere after I'm president. I'm sure I'll be sticking around a while um, helping out with MCBA and that I love MCBA. I love our mission. And I'm happy to talk um, with anyone who wants more information or just to get a better understanding about our organization. That will do it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Marion County Bar Association President Katie Jackson Lindsay for joining us. To listen to previous episodes of The Indiana Lawyer Podcast, visit theindianalawyer.com or your favorite streaming service.